Welcome to the Yorkshire EV Club podcast. I'm your host, Nick Smith, and over each episode, I'll be discussing the latest news from the world of electric vehicles and talking to guests about their EV life and how to live sustainably in an electric world. The podcast is produced by RPS Driven Media on behalf of the Yorkshire Electric Vehicle Club. For more information, visit rps-dm.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the newly revitalised Yorkshire EV Club podcast where we take a look at electric vehicles and EV life for the EV lover and EV curious. My name's Nick Smith and I am your host for the podcast and in this episode we are going to take a look at some of the news that's come out from the world of electric vehicles and we're also going to be talking to a club member, Louise Smith, about her life in her electric vehicle, a lovely Peugeot E2008 known as Sheer Calm. So let's take a look at the news then that has come out in the last month or so in the world of electric vehicles. So straight on with the news then and the news which broke this morning is the unveiling of the new Volkswagen ID7. So for those of you that are in the market for a large saloon car with an electric drivetrain, good news for you. The ID7 is the sixth model in the ID range with the ID3, ID4, ID5 and ID Buzz on sale in Europe at the moment and the ID6 available as a model only in China. The ID7 is a grown-up version of the previous ID ID cars. It's got a, a bit more of a mature face about it as reflects where it's positioned in the market. It is set to go head-to-head with Tesla's Model 3 and the Polestar 2 as well. It, so you get the ID family face, but gone are the daytime running lamps which go all the way around the light cluster. It's just a long continuous line across the front of the car and the top of the light cluster. Uh, what isn't gone is some pretty impressive performance statistics. There are two models currently planned for the car. The Pro, which comes with the 77 kilowatt hour battery, which we know and generally like from the ID3s, 4s, 5s and buzzes. Uh, this battery will come with 170 kilowatts DC charging. The Pro S will come with an 86 kilowatt battery, a new battery for Volkswagen, and will also come with 200 kilowatts DC charging. They haven't released details on what the AC charging will be like on the two cars. The two different batteries will give ranges of 382 and 435 miles respectively and a large part of that is down to the incredibly low coefficient of drag 0.23 cds both models are single motor rear wheel drive there is a new motor to volkswagen which is being put into these cars along with a single speed gearbox the motor puts out 282 brake horsepower 
pound-feet of torque and will push the car from 0 to 62 in about 6 seconds. So we're not talking Model 3 performance statistics here, but we are talking pretty brisk for what could be classified as a land yacht. And there is more to come in this regard because a twin motor version, the ID7 GTX, is planned, but there's no details released about it yet. Going back to what I said about it being a land yacht, it is a rather large beast. It is over five meters long. It has a three meter wheelbase, which puts it only, what, probably about 50 centimeters uh, short of being the length of a Vauxhall Adam in wheelbase alone. Um, it also puts it very squarely into the Volkswagen Arteon Audi A6 sort of size range. So a little bit bigger than the Volkswagen Passat, which it's expected to compete directly against. On the inside, they've gone rather Tesla-esque. There's a 15-inch touchscreen dominating the centre panel. And I'd like to express an opinion here that these massive touchscreens are going too far. 15-inch touchscreen is bigger than my first telly. Now, come on, guys. Let's... Let's not dominate too much of the dashboard. They have also backlit the controls for ventilation and temperature so that they can be used in the dark, which is an improvement over the current range of ID vehicles. Other tech on the car includes optional massage seats, augmented reality heads-up display, and a panoramic roof, which switches electronically between transparent and opaque. The car will launch in Europe and China late this year. The USA is going to get the car sometime in 2024. As for prices, we expect it to start somewhere around £50,000. That is roughly on a par with the rivals in class, the Model 3 and the Polestar 2. There is also brand new model news from BMW and Mini. In fact, there are two new cars that we can talk about from the Mini brand. The first is the all-new Mini Cooper, which has broken cover with photos of a pre-production model testing in America without any camouflage. Now, this is an American spec vehicle, so we don't know everything about the UK spec, but it gives us a good look at what the new car is going to look like. And it does look quite different. It's based on a platform which is developed jointly with Great Wall, so it's probably the platform on which the Aura Funky Cat is based. And when you look at the cars, they have similar proportions, which supports that theory as well. What isn't shared is that platform with regards to combustion vehicles. Of course, Aura don't do any combustion vehicles. BMW are going to continue with the 1.53 cylinder in the Cooper and the 2 litre 4 banger in the Cooper S, but they're just going to graft the new face of Mini onto the outgoing platform. They're not going to develop a whole new combustion platform for a car. They're only going to get five, five and a half years of life out of it. Just wouldn't make financial sense. At the front of the new car, then, all the chrome is gone. There's no chrome around the headlights. There's no chrome on the grille anymore. Instead, you get quite a clean, contemporary-looking front end with a big body-coloured bar running across the where the grille would be. Above the bar, you've got a fake uh, grey plastic grille with no, with no air getting into it. It's a smooth panel. The only things that you can see on it are the green 
S badge in this photo and a forward facing camera. So expect a 360 degree camera system on the car. Um, the clamshell bonnet is also a casualty of the new model, which is actually a bit of a blessing in disguise, even if you're a fan of the clamshell bonnet look. The size and complexity of the panel made it a pig to replace, a pig to repair in the event of an accident, and an absolute bugger to ship to dealers and to body shops. So you probably find that despite the addition of new technology to the car, the assurance group on the new Cooper actually goes down because it's going to be cheaper to repair in the event of a front-end impact. At the side of the car, the bigger wheels really do work to make the car as a whole look smaller. The removal of the black plastic cladding around the wheel arches also help here. The car looks, again, more modern, smoother, but as a whole, the, the entire car really does hark back to the Alex Isagonis original Mini. The door handles are not original, though. They've gone done away with the grab style door handles in favour of a pull-up style door handle which does sit relatively flush to the body line very similar to the door handles on the new 500e which will have aerodynamic benefits and will be less likely to break as well so always a bonus there the other thing that is visible from the side shot of the car is the fueling flap, which on this particular car is on the right rear quarter panel, just in front of the wheel arch. This is a little bit of a concern because depending on the design of the public charger you've gone to use, you might find the cable doesn't reach. The car as a whole at the back is reminiscent of the Mark 1 Audi A1. There's a almost a split level tailgate with a solid bar that runs across in piano black with Cooper and the green S on it. This connects to triangular LED matrix taillights, uh, which actually do look pretty good. The glass house is looking quite a lot smaller, but that could be a trick of perspective. If it is significantly smaller, then you may find space in the back of the car is restricted. We need to see one before we actually can judge on that. The one thing which really has been retained from the outgoing car is the low mounted centre mounted reversing light which replaced the fog light from the original BMW Mini in the middle at the back and has been there ever since the facelift of the original BMW Mini. The new Cooper gets a 181 brake horsepower motor and does 0-62 in about 7 seconds. That's equivalent to the current Cooper S combustion car. It's also a good match for its main rival, which is the Abarth 500e. The Cooper SE will get 215 brake horsepower, with the John Cooper Works version expected to produce around 250 brake horsepower, but there's no details released on that car yet, which will come out later in the car's model lifecycle. The Cooper's going to get a 40 kilowatt hour battery and an estimated 240 miles range on the WLTP cycle. That's 90 up on the outgoing car and makes it a really usable car, not just for the city, but for intercity running as well. The Cooper SE is to get a 54 kilowatt hour battery and that's aiming closer to 300 miles on the WLTP cycle. No details have been released on charging yet, but if the architecture is shared with the Yorra Funky Cat, we'll be looking at 64 kilowatt charging. 100 kilowatts really has to be the minimum acceptable, though, given it's available on the 
Peugeot E2008, the E208, the Vauxhall Mocha. Basically, anything relatively new is coming out with better than 64 kilowatt hour charging. So they really need to pull their finger out there. On the subject of price, we're expecting somewhere north of £33,000 for the Cooper. Don't know about pricing on the Cooper SE. Um, and of course, the JCW has not yet been officially confirmed. So there's nowhere we can gauge the pricing on that. What we can have a better guess at is the pricing for the other new Mini that's been seen, which is the Mini Countryman Electric. It's been spied doing cold weather testing in a psychedelic camouflage livery out in the cold of Northern Europe. And it's set to sport a 64.7 kilowatt hour battery and an estimated range of about 280 miles. The base trim will have 191 brake horsepower from a single motor. The all-wheel drive Mini Countryman SE all four is to get a twin motor setup which pushes it up to 313 brake horsepower. It's a platform share with the BMW X1 but is designed to be smaller. The car has still grown though by 13 centimeters in length compared to the outgoing car and six centimeters in height and this is purely to allow the Mini Aceman fully electric car that's to be launched soon to slot into the range between the hatch and the Countryman. The new Countryman is going to be one of the greenest cars produced. It comes out of Leipzig, where there are four monster wind turbines which produce 20 gigawatt hours of electricity per year. They're also using a lot of recycled materials in the vehicle. The alloy wheels are set to be about 70% recycled aluminium. They're also using reclaimed materials in the dashboard, the steering wheel, the headliner and the floor mats. They claim that all of this together will make production CO2 reduce by up to 85% compared to the outgoing Mini Countryman. Production is due to start in Q quarter four of this year, with sales due to start in February of 2024. They are going to get the new Mini Cooper hatch to market before they launch the electric Countryman. Other mid to large SUVs that are being revised include the Volvo's 40 range. This is the C40 and the XC40 in both recharge and recharge twin specifications. They have cosmetic changes to the front end, which include revised headlamps. I've not seen any images of the back, so I can't see what they've done with regards to the tail lights. My suggestion here is to leave them as is because it's my personal opinion that the XC40 is one of the best looking medium SUVs on the market. There are similar changes um, for both the XC40 and the C40 uh, and both get the same sort of changes under the skin to increase range and efficiency. Looking at the C40 then, the standard C40 recharge gets a range bump from 272 miles to 297. The recharge twin goes from 278 miles up to 342. In the XC40 range, the standard XC40 recharge goes from 264 miles to 290, so that's a 26 mile increase, with the recharge twin of the uh, of the XC40 going up by 64 miles, or 24%, from 270 to 334 miles. That's the, uh, the headline jump in the revised model range. There is a new motor. This is a permanent magnet electric motor which is developed fully by Volvo in-house. 
It also shifts from the front axle to the rear axle on the standard recharge models. The power goes up to 200, sorry, from 231 brake horsepower to 238, so a moderate boost in power there. The recharge twin models also get new motor arrangements. They're, instead of having twin 204 brake horsepower units, one on each axle for a 50-50 power distribution, they've put a new 150 brake horsepower motor on the front axle and a 258 brake horsepower motor on the back. Power remains the same at 408 brake horsepower, but the recharged twins will then become just a little bit rear drive bias and hopefully then a little bit more fun to drive. The recharged twins benefit from a new battery. It's uh, a 78 kilowatt hour battery uh, with 75 usable in the car currently, and that's going to go up to a 79 kilowatt hour usable, 82 kilowatt hour overall battery in the new car. They've also worked on the charging capacities of the recharged twin models. It goes up to 200 kilowatts, making charging from 10 to 80 percent now a 28 minutes experience where the chargers are available. In other EV news, we take a look at Hyundai and the Ionic 6, which has taken a trio of awards at the World Car of the Year Awards. The Ionic 6 has claimed the World Car of the Year Award for 2023, along with World Electric Vehicle Award and the World Car Design of the Year Award. The previous winner of those three models, the 2022 winner, the Hyundai Ionic 5, so the trophies are going home. Sang-Yuk Lee, who is the Executive Vice President of Design and the boss of the Hyundai Global Design Centre, was also named as 2023 World Car Person of the Year, and this is in a ceremony at the New York Auto Show recently. The Ionic 5 isn't resting on its laurels, though. The new Ionic 5N has been spotted cold weather testing, particularly working on developing a new N-Drift optimizer setting. So if, like me, you're excited to see the Ionic 5 in that nice N shade of blue, that is coming closer. If, like people with much more driving ability than me, you're excited to take your two and a half ton five seat business car and throw it sideways around a racetrack, there's good news for you there as well. And then moving on to other cars, which are a little bit more racetrack functioned. A Bath have confirmed that their 500e Scorpion Isima will be the launch special edition model of the Abarth 500e when it comes to market. It follows in the success of the Fiat 500e, the smaller battery, less power version. The Scorpion Isima offers 113.7 kilowatt motors. It's about 155 PS of power, uh, which is the European measurement of power rather than horsepower which is equivalent to approximately a second-generation Corsa VXR in terms of power, but with 235 newton meters of torque. So quite an impressive torque figure there. It's going to take off like the proverbial robber's dog. 0-62 to is going to be about a seven-second experience, and there are three driving modes for the car. Turismo and Scorpion Street are the modes they expect you to use when you are driving, and this offers a one-pedal driving experience. Scorpion Track offers you the option to buy new 18-inch tyres on a very regular basis while shredding them around the racetrack of your choice. The Abarth 500e Scorpionissima gets a bigger battery than the 500e. It's a 42 kilowatt example with 85 kilowatt 
DC charging. The hatch and convertible models will both be coming in Scorpionissima trim. Inside, the sports seats are trimmed with Alcantara. The 10.25 inch touchscreen gets CarPlay or Android Auto, and there is a wealth of ADAS systems, the advanced driver assistance systems. These include automatic emergency braking, lane keep assist, drowsy driver protection, and blind spot indicator system, and of course, cruise control. And then there is an improved version of the e-call assist function, so when you do inevitably bin it at Donington Park, they'll at least call the ambulance for you. A bath was formed in 1949 and the team have decided to commemorate that year by building 1,949 Abarth 500e Scorpionissimus. So if you want to get your hands on one, speak to your Fiat Abarth dealer as soon as possible. The car is going to break cover in the flesh at the Salon Privé event at the Royal Hospital Chelsea on the 20th to 22nd of this month. And that brings us to the end of the news. And now it's time to meet one of our members. We've got an interview now with Louise Smith, who I spoke to over a coffee after the EV Club meet at Tesla Drake House. Now, the interview is recorded in a open and working branch of a certain Seattle-based American coffee chain with a mermaid for the logo. So there is a bit of background noise in places, and I apologise for the sound quality. But it is a very interesting listen to how not just a new EV driver, but a new driver in entirety is getting on with running an electric vehicle when they don't have access to a charger. Okay, so I am joined by Louise Smith, no relation, <laughs> to talk about her electric vehicle experience, her electric vehicle life. Say hello, Louise. Hello, Louise. And tell the listeners how it is you came to be an electric vehicle driver and which electric vehicle responds to the name Sheer Car. Okay, um, thank you, Nick. Overall, I have probably a slightly odd driving history because I was taught to drive as a kid so I was taught to drive um, manual and off-road mostly in a very old Land Rover um, mostly well before I was of age um, and then that was sort of it for a long time um, I'm one of the youngest in my year so I wouldn't have been able to drive until upper six had far too much work to do um, and knew that as soon as I finished, I was going abroad for a year, and that I was going to be too young to hire a car anywhere, so there was no point in learning at that point. I then came back, went straight to uni, was at uni for ages, never needed a car, couldn't have afforded one at any point, and then started work, but was always relatively happy on public transport. Um, however, then changed jobs, and ended up with it as a clause in my contract. I had to learn. <sighs> so that then meant that it was learn in a year or be unemployed. So started to look for lessons. Obviously, just to make life easier, it's just post-pandemic. Everyone and their son was looking for a driving instructor. Um, at the point I started looking 
I had been quite lucky. I'd been kind of umming and ahhing about it a little bit. And I was fortunate enough to actually find an instructor within about three months of starting to look, which was better than I'd expected. And your driving instructor, a minor celebrity in the EV scene, I think. Oh, huge. <laughs> what I'm getting at here is that Louise learned to drive with me in, in my Hyundai Kona. How did you find Eva? Eva was lovely. Um, having gone from big manual Land Rover, it had been so heavy. That was the first thing that I remembered about driving was it was really, really hard work. And then it wasn't. And Power steering is just a revelation, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> a 14-15, a Land Rover without power steering, is a big beast to turn into a 15-seater. And then it wasn't. When I was looking for lessons, I made the decision that I wasn't going to look for manual, I wasn't going to look for that as an option, because looking at the future, all cars by 2030 aren't going to be able to be straight petrol. Um, electric cars are all automatic. The future is electric. future is automatic. So I was looking for an automatic instructor. And looking forward, I honestly think we will see far more electric cars. So that was what I was hoping for. I was hoping for an automatic. I knew that when I finished, I was going to want to at least consider an electric. And then found Nick, who was both automatic and electric. So you did your lessons with me. I did, yeah. Passed, passed in August, passed, passed four in days August. before my birthday. And was quite a special pass for me because it was exactly a year after I qualified as a driving instructor. So and it was at the same test centre as well. At the same test well. centre. So. You bookended my year with passes. Now, most people's first car isn't particularly impressive. You and I have some things in common with our first cars. They're both French. They both come from the PSA stable. Yeah. Um, mine was a 13-year-old 1-litre Citroen AX Debut Plus. I think the plus was because they put wheel trims on it because there was nothing else on the car of any impressive specification. It's Yours is a little bit more impressive than a clapped out one litre AX. It is. Um, my first car is an active premium Peugeot E2008, which is the SUV electric from Peugeot. Um, it is in the very distinctive um, orange colour. Um, I'm not sure what its name is, but it's quite impressive the name um, and it's it's bigger than a lot of people's first cars so what made you choose people, that I color. love it well so there's a bit of a story behind this one if you'd asked me on the day I passed what color car are you gonna buy I would have told you black because most of what I wear is black most of the time mm. But you express your colour through your hair. I do, which is never black, because black hair is boring. So my hair is currently pink, purple and blue across five shades. And... So you really are the weirdo with five colours in her hair? I am, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Had to happen. However, when I was looking at cars, interestingly, didn't see or test drive anything that was black. And... When I decided what I was going to have, 
which was the Peugeot. The dealer, whose name was also Nick, asked me the kind of infamous question, does colour matter? So I was thinking, hmm, not sure, sort of. But I think the proper answer and the correct answer is no, so went with no. To which he responded, great, I've got an orange one. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, could be quite cool. Mm -hmm. Also, coincidentally, was the only unsold one in the country. Yes. So <laughs> He could have said, I've only got an orange one. <laughs> he could have only said, I've got an orange one. It was, therefore, a straight decision. I could buy and have a already built unsold car or I could join the ever-growing list of people hoping that one was going to be built and shipped to them mm. and wait a year. That wasn't really on my kind of list of things I was willing to do. Mm. At which point, yeah, orange, orange is in my future. Mm. It would have been slightly easier if they'd managed to get it here when they thought they were going to, but that's a different story. <laughs> so that's how you came to be the proud owner of a... Nice metallic orange oh, he's Peugeot. Pe he's beautiful. E two thousand eight, known as Sheer Calm. Yeah, he's uh, got he's got tiger stripes and everything, and he is definitely not a tigger because he doesn't bounce up and down, and he's he's not kind of a gentle, friendly, smiley looking car. He looks like he's going to bite you. He's quiet and calm, but he does look like he's going to bite rather than bounce. <laughs> Okay, I'm not quite certain where to go from that. <laughs> <laughs> I but, scared my dad when I sent him a photo of my car. But you have experience now of two, well, three different electric vehicles because you drove the t that more. I've got more than that. So because I've you driven, drove the Mocha. I've driven the Mocha. I've driven, driven the, the Mazda. The Mazda MX-30, which, I mean, world's shortest test drive because if it was a, anything longer than the world's shortest test drive, you'd need to stop and charge it. <laughs> No, we went out for about 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, you've driven MG. I've driven the MG5, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, I've sat in the long range so, as well. The MG5, that's one heck of a car to consider for your first car. <laughs> uh, I've driven an MG ZS as well. Yeah. And yesterday at the EV Club meet, you test drove the... I took out the... A little bit higher up the model range than you were aiming originally the Tesla Model 3 performance. No, I took the, I took the long range, oh, not you took performance. A long range. <laughs> so, yeah. So, in your scale of EV experience, because of course you've also driven the Hyundai Kona 64 kilowatt hour battery, 150 kilowatt motor premium. So, yeah. um, a fair representative of the Hyundai product range as well there. Yeah. So, where would you put your car in the in the smorgasbord of electric vehicles? Ooh, that's an interesting question. So, when I drove the Mocha, mm -hmm. I would have to say that my overwhelming impression of it was like driving a go-kart. It was go and stop. It just felt so much fun, so much like a toy. Um, the Mazda, the Mazda felt really, really stable, really heavy. Mm -hmm. um, the MG was terrifying. 
I think that's because either you couldn't reach the pedals or you were too close to the pedals, isn't it? Um, I couldn't reach the pedals properly and there was no way of getting into a position where I could, unfortunately. So that was a bit of a terrifying drive. Um, in, in the version of this I sent to Kev, I'll just mute that bit, yeah? <laughs> you, you can send it to Kev. Um, <laughs> if you have my body shape, there's no way of making an MG fit. <laughs> Excellent car for many people who are not my height and size. Mm -hmm. um, the Tesla, Tesla was a different world. So smooth, so much power, so heavy, but so planted to the road. It, entirely different experience. And you had the rear drive version, didn't you? Rather I had all-wheel drive. The all -wheel drive, okay. There's so many options across the there Tesla is. range. It's, yeah. it's like Ikea, <laughs> you get you, you buy your Calax and you can buy all these different options to go in yes. and turn it into the Calax that you want. <laughs> um, and then my car. So my car is somewhere, somewhere between, in my mm. experience, the mocker mm. of a go-kart mm. and either the Honda Kona mm. as a really, really safe feeling option. Mm. Um, the steering in my car is incredibly light. Mm. You can turn it on a dime. It has the most amazing turning circle you'll ever see. Um, it will beat any car I've so far tried it between zero and 30 and a legitimate from the lights mm -hmm. and it is so quiet and so comfortable you can't hear the world outside you can't hear the car you are just wrapped up in your own little bubble of whatever you've put on in the background it's wonderful so obviously quite happy with your current purchase and I love my car your when you look at the typical electric vehicle owner mm -hmm. as the public perceive us yeah which I'm going to point out here neither of us are <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the typical electric vehicle owner probably married couple of kids yep three or four bedroom house two car drive yep garage yep charge point at home and that's where I was headed with this. Yeah. Because you are not the stereotypical electric vehicle driver in that not only do you not have a charge point at home, nope. you don't have a drive or any assigned parking. So you couldn't put one in because no. you'd only get to use it once every couple of months. Yeah. So how have you been managing charging your car? So the vast majority of the time, mm -hmm. it gets charged on rapid public charge points mm. so I have a few around Sheffield that I prefer mm. um, usually ones that I can predict roughly when they'll be available mm. that are reasonably quiet in terms of the number of people who are going to be around mm. um, as a woman who is usually on her own I have particular ones that I don't feel safe at. This is the next question I was going to ask because there's some rapid chargers quite near to your place of work. There but are. your place of work isn't the nicest area of Rotherham, is it? No, I work in an area that is identified as being an area that has problems. Mm. 
Um, there is a wrapper charger. Like the church that's used to grow drugs over the road. <laughs> it's currently cut off from the grid. The other one is an ex-church that is probably active. <laughs> um, but no, there is a wrapper charger very near where I work. It's not somewhere I would want to be sat in my car for long periods of time. And I'm guessing the getting out and unplugging it as well. It doesn't fill me with joy. It's not impossible. I mean, I work in that area. I will happily loan work and lock up and open up. Um, I probably feel safer there than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But it's not somewhere I want to just sit and mm -hmm. wait. Because I think I would feel quite exposed. I, the ones I prefer are, there's one just off Arena Court, mm -hmm. um, which is nice, huge car park. Is this the Osprey at, what well, was the 1810? Yeah. Is now Papa's Fish and Chips. Yeah, it's under CCTV, it's a well-lit car park, it's very quiet. Mm -hmm. As long as you can dodge the DPD vans, it's all good. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand you're on first name terms with security guard at IKEA as well. I am, yes. <laughs> uh, because again, it's a lovely, quiet, calm environment. There's lots of charges. The beauty of the ones at IKEA is their dual power, at which point you can use all of the sockets and it still runs, which means you don't have to be the only person there. Um, I also quite regularly use the ones at the eight foot way which is a nearby pub to where i live and they've just put a second 50 kilowatt in there haven't they they have yes it's is it wired in yet it's wired in um my lived experience is it's slower than the other one mm -hmm. i have yet to get as good a speed out of it but that's probably just luck rather than anything else okay have you use the new one when the old one's not being used yes so it's not load balancing it's just no i think it it doesn't like my car or my car doesn't like it and you've also done some longer journeys i have yeah car. you're off to east of england on a semi-regular basis yeah so my dad uh, lives on the south coast sort of east anglia so you've done that twice now haven't you i have okay once during the christmas horror story of tesla drivers waiting for 19 hours to charge uh, and once <laughs> in the approach to Easter when yes. there were no horror stories. No. So what's your experience of going long distance in a car which I hope you won't be offended by me saying isn't really designed to be a long distance mile muncher? No it's not. Um, through spring and autumn I get about 180 out of it. Um, I was scraping 200 when I first got it in September when it was warm. Um, it was down at about 150 through winter, um, slightly lower when we got to minus six or minus nine or whatever it was mm -hmm. through the colder snap. Well, there was a point that Eva was saying 150. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Eva doesn't like the, doesn't like the snow. <laughs> so generally, I prefer to charge it about 100 every 150 when I'm getting 180. Mm. I prefer not to get into the point where it's telling me the battery is low, mm. but that's more a preference than anything else. Mm. Um, that means I do have to have thought ahead. It mm. means I need to have decided where that means and where is gonna be convenient. 
So on my route from Sheffield to Lowestoft, somewhere between Spalding and Norwich, um, depending on how much charge I'm setting off with, is where I'm going to be looking to charge. My preference is Neston, um, which is, for those who don't know, a tiny, tiny little village with the biggest co-op you've ever come across. Um, a huge bank of charges attached to a petrol station and no people. There's only about six houses. There's more charges than that. So it's, it's one of those sites that's been put there for the holiday exodus to Great Yarmouth? Yes, entirely. Um, it's about 10 miles northwest of King's Lynn, and it is just off the main road. So it's a lovely option for me. Oh, this is the new co-op petrol station on the right-hand side. It is. The, yes. Biggest co-op you'll ever see anywhere. When they first opened it, it had two seven kilowatt chargers in it. They've obviously gone a little bit more to town on it. It's now got eight, eight or ten double power grid serves. And a 24-hour shop that you can go into. Yeah. Well-maintained toilets and a Costa Express machine, which is all you really want. And a full-size Costa on the same site. Good point. So you've got lots and lots of options, whether you just want to pop into the shop, mm. whether you actually want to go and sit in Costa. Mm. It's a really nice site. It's really well lit. And mm. though they've not chosen to put in any actually accessible charging bays what they have chosen to do is make the charging bays really wide and there's no step between the parking surface and the charger so though so they look like they've read the british standard on yeah though an actual wheelchair user might still struggle mm. if they parked in the end one they'd be fine but someone who maybe is not using an actual chair, but has a mobility difficulty and needs to be able to open the door fully, would be able to. Whose are the chargers there? Uh, they're grid serves. They're grid serves. And are they the same as the grid serves at IKEA, where the screen is quite high as well? Or? Screen's quite low. Quite low. So they've, they've accounted for that. Yeah, well. you could comfortably use it seated. Okay, so I have a Yorkshire Review got a podcast and we're getting <laughs> reviews, of, uh, reviews of charging points in Norfolk. <laughs> Sorry, you did ask. Yeah, no, it's, it's all, it's like I used to truck on a regular basis between Sheffield and Norwich. Yeah. And the other thing I do quite like about that site is they've always got a rollover hot dog in the cabinet so you can grab something on the move. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can at least get something important. hot inside. Yeah. So, with your experience now of electric vehicles, if you were to be in a position of having to buy a new car tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, I'm paid to put the thought in your head, but sheer car and goes walkies overnight. Insurance pays out. What are you going for? You see, this is where it becomes a difficult question. Mm. I love my car. Mm. Um, even when I was looking, if I could have found a Kona I could have afforded, mm. That would have been high on my list simply because of the huge amounts of range um, that Konas give compared to even what Hyundai claim. Mm. So they are one of the few who 
actually give more than their manufacturers say on a regular basis. I will point out here that whilst my lived experience and the lived experience of a lot of Kona owners I've spoken to reflect the fact that when high end I say 300 in the summer, expect 350. Yeah. There are other people who report that the uh, world famous guesso meter isn't particularly good at guessing. Uh, and if they say 300, expect 260 to 280. So, so the lived experience. Fair enough. We, we are blessed by the fact we live and work in a city on seven hills. So there's a lot of regeneration. There's loads in of our region. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Hyundai appears to be one of the better ones for getting the, uh, yeah. the guesser meter right, but. Doesn't necessarily guarantee. No. But no, Kona would be very high on my list if it was affordable. Mm -hmm. um, if I had a big pile of money. You were quite taken by the three, weren't you? I love that Model 3. I don't know that it was actually practical enough. And I do love an SUV. And I don't know if I could live with a saloon. Mm. But I did love the Model 3. Um, in terms of things that are out now, I still don't think I'd have a Mazda. I still think it would have just been too big. What about the Rex, the range extended one? I'd so have you've got a, that I'd back up for long journeys. I'd have a look at that. I'd have a go mm -hmm. and see what it was like. Um, I don't think I'd be going near the Mercedes options. I think I wouldn't have the money for them. And if you did, you'd probably spend it on a Model Y or something like that. Probably. Um, again, I would look quite seriously at Nero. Um, if I had the money for it, which I didn't in the summer, they were just in the price bracket above what I could afford. Yeah. For all the fun it was, I wouldn't be going for a mocker. I wouldn't be going smaller. Mm -hmm. um, in my day job, um, it is quite important that I can fit at least one folded wheelchair in my car with at least three people, which does kind of set limits on what is mm. and isn't a viable option. So uh, fear either cato then. <laughs> <laughs> Only if they've added an option for it to be able to tow and <laughs> I can go and get a trailer for it. Mm. <sighs> what else would I be looking at? If it was, if it was genuinely tomorrow, mm. that's probably the end of the list. If we were looking in a year's time, I'd be very interested to see what the Kia EV9 looks like. The, oh, images, the images are amazing, but it will be far more than I can afford, I would imagine. Mm. Um, I'd also be quite interested in the big Audi, but again, that's considerably more money. I'm there not in a position news. where I can afford to go to mm. that kind of price range. There is news out uh, recently, we discussed it in the news section of this episode of the podcast. Mini Countryman Electric, 270 miles, 280 miles range on a charge. I'd estimate about 50 mm. grand, given what my dad paid for his plug-in hybrid. I do love a Mini. Mm. I don't know if I'd fit in one. And then there's the Volkswagen ID7 that's just been announced, which... Mm. 
the dual motor version, which the insurance company will love you for, <laughs> um, is estimating over 400 mile range from an 86 kilowatt hour battery for somewhere around £50,000. That's a saloon car, but with a big old boot. I have to admit, if I, if I was going to go for a VW, I think I might really buzz. go all the way out and have an ID buzz. Um, <laughs> I'm fairly sure you can put passengers in them. Fairly sure there is an option that allows you to have two seats in the back. Well, it was, desi it was designed as a people carrier. Mm. The ID Buzz Cargo is a conversion of a people carrier. Yeah, so I'm fairly certain that you can have a version that would still give me the option to use it as a camper van and to fit myself and three passengers plus the wheelchair I need to be able to get in. So yeah, if I was going to go VW, I think it would probably be a Buzz. Um, I'd also want to go and have a look at the ENIAC from Skoda, mm -hmm. which, while I've not been in an ENIAC, I've been in its ice cousin, mm -hmm. the Karok. Yeah, Karok or the Kodiak? Karok. Yeah. Um, and that's a lovely car. I wouldn't want an ice, mm -hmm. but it's a lovely car. So. Final rapid fire questions. Okay. okay. One piece of advice you give somebody that's considering an electric vehicle for the first time. Work out how you're going to charge your car. Oh. Whether that's at home, whether that's at work, whether that's in the community. Mm -hmm. Work out where you're going to charge it. Okay. Well, I think we've already established that your next vehicle is going to be electric. Yep. <laughs> yep. Whenever that comes <laughs> along. Yep. Okay. So, final question then. Ultimate driving song for an electric car. Together in electric dreams. I knew that would be one of the early ones that came out. Because <laughs> it's, it's a classic and it's an awesome song. And if you get it racked up really, really loud, it sounds amazing. Well, thank you for taking the time to to talk to me over 28 minutes i might have to edit this down a little bit <laughs> but it's Sorry. been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you for joining me on the yorkshire ev pub podcast thank and you for having me seeing you at a meet sometime soon yeah i think our next one is the 23rd of april which unfortunately i won't be at <gasps> i'm in london at the driving instructor trade show it's just not a good excuse I'm, I'm, I'm there extolling the virtues of electric vehicles, all right? Oh, yeah, but you're not bringing your car to a classic car meet to show what a classic car of the future is going to look like. No, it's a classic now. Maybe. Now it's just classy. Mm. <laughs> right. So that is the end of the first episode of the revitalised Yorkshire EV Club podcast, the podcast for EV lovers and the EV curious. I'd like to thank you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe on your choice of podcasting platform and do feel free to give us a nice little five star review. If you've got any questions, queries, problems, corrections for things that I may have inadvertently got wrong then please do get in touch you can contact me via social media at at 
RPS driven electric is the best way to get hold of me. I check that one all about a million times a day. Or you can email me at admin at rps-dn.co.uk. You can also find me on the Yorkshire EV Club group on Facebook. Search for Nick Smith and I'm the one that's wearing a grey jumper lying down on the floor with a camera in his hand in the profile photo. You can send me a direct message on Facebook as well. Don't forget to keep looking at the Yorkshire EV Club group on Facebook because that's where the committee advertise the various meets and events we're going to. Some are going up at a little bit short notice at the moment. So there is one this coming weekend, the weekend of the 22nd and 23rd of April. It's up in Brighouse. There's limited availability for cars in the club area, which is part of a closed road event in the area so if you want to get there get your name in fast to secure yourself a place if you don't want to be in the club display but do want to be there there's ample free parking around as well so until next time thank you very very much for listening i've been nick smith and this has been the yorkshire ev club podcast Thank you for listening to the Yorkshire EV Club podcast. To find out more about us, visit the Yorkshire EV Club on Facebook. The Yorkshire EV Club podcast is an RPS driven media production. All rights are reserved.